All right, well, listen, we're going to look at John chapter 14, and we're going to be looking today at a conversation with Jesus. And um, I just left it like that because this conversation is pretty unique. And uh, I I was uh, talking to Becky as we did that. We're in chapter 14, and we're going to begin around verse uh, 30. Uh, But uh, I always think about conversations that you have with people that are significant. I remember in 1980, or sorry, 1991, uh, the school I now work at uh, called me and contacted me and asked me if I would consider to come to teach. And I thought, uh, you talking to me? And uh, <clears throat> I said, well, I don't know. And so I remember after uh, getting contacted and sitting down with Becky, who is <clears throat> much more spiritual than I am and much more dialed in, and I remember sitting down with her and talking with her and saying, you know, we're, we're pastoring this church and we love these people and they love us. or They actually like her. I told him, I said, I know you guys would like for Becky to come to this church. And in order for that to happen, you have to hire me. So I'm good with that. I'm good with that. That's okay. That's all right. A lot of truth. Uh, so anyway, as we've been there and having a great time and enjoying it, uh, we, I, I just said to Becky, I need to talk to you about something. I need to talk to you about it. We, She knew that I'd gone to graduate school and done some other things in order to be able to teach. But this was not on our radar. I was 38 years old. Wow. What was that like? <clears throat> yeah, I got a pair of boots that old now. <clears throat> uh, uh, I was 38, and uh, I had certainly not considered <clears throat> that this would be something I would do at that young of age. I thought I'd have to get a little older and have a little more uh, maturity. And so I remember saying, we, we need to talk, <clears throat> sit down. And I said to Becky, I said, um, you know, I think, uh, or, or, or the school has called me and asked me if I would uh, want to come and teach. And she says, yes. And I, <laughs> Can we talk about this? <clears throat> and, and, and I said, I, I'm not that clear. And she goes, no, I, I know it's what God wants us. And then she started crying. And I thought, well, what's wrong with her? She, yes. And she says, I don't want to move to Oklahoma. <laughs> now she's from Kansas. So I, you know, I, I don't know why that is. And she said, because it reminds me of Kansas, and it's like living in a hairdryer. <clears throat> and you know what? I understand that now. <clears throat> My hair used to be real curly, but it's kind of tired right now. <clears throat> it's gotten tired over the years. The wind blows so hard sometimes, it actually moves my hair. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> But I remember saying, no, we've got to talk about this. We, we've got to discuss this. This is a big deal, Becky. She was so clear on that, <clears throat> so certain that this was what we were supposed to do. And I kept saying, well, I'm not that clear. I, I need some more clarity. I, I need some more help. And, and uh, <clears throat> it was interesting because as we talked, she kept saying, Cliff, I'm certain of this. I know this. And I'm thinking, but I need to talk some more. I need to discuss some more. Big deal, huh? Well, you know what? There's a discussion that Jesus has here, a conversation, that I don't know really that I've ever really discussed in this classroom. I don't know that I've ever really broached the issue. And I thought, what a crazy subject this week for Mother's Day. Although as I thought about it more, I thought about the role that moms play and the jobs they have and you know, where we as guys, I know I, I've had friends, you know, that they're dads and they're trying to get the kids, mom's getting the kids ready and the dad is trying to help by sitting in the driveway honking the horn. <laughs> right? That's the way guys work? Come on, come on. I'm just trying to help. Um, but, but a conversation that we don't always have and we don't talk about often is this. I want you to look at now John 14, verse uh, 20, I'll start at 29 just to get us back in the context where we're. Now, I've told you this before it happens, so that when it happens, you'll believe me. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. I want to look at today is a conversation with Jesus about a topic that, again, I don't know that I've talked that much about, but it has to do with what some people consider spiritual warfare or spiritual opposition or spiritual difficulty. I was talking to Becky about this, and I said, you know, probably nobody knows more about this, or I'm thinking about this, nobody knows more about spiritual opposition than moms, right? You know, why? Why? 
You know, I remember in college uh, when, when teachers and professors would come by and, and speak in chapel and talk in chapel and say to uh, all of us, and especially maybe women, and say, you know, if you're not spending an hour in your quiet time, you're not trusting Jesus. And I've had ladies say, I haven't had a quiet hour in 14 years, <laughs> right? My kids follow me to the bathroom, uh, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> you know, it's just like, uh, look over there, and then they run off. You know. But this idea of opposition, of difficulty. And so as I was working this week and looking at this, I thought, you know, here's a subject, here's a topic that I just want to try to broach or at least begin. Notice what Jesus said. I've got much more to speak to you, but the ruler of the world is coming, but he doesn't have anything in me. So I want to look at this first matter about a conversation with Jesus that it starts with, here we go, if this thing will work. Here we go. A conversation about opposition. A conversation about opposition. Now, let me give you a couple of uh, uh, disclaimers. Uh, you know, I grew up in an in a evangelical church like some of you did. And I remember in the 70s and other times when the idea of spiritual opposition, spiritual warfare, what do you want to call it, uh, became just nuts. I mean, I said to some of my friends, you think there's a demon in every doorknob, you know? that there's something wrong with everybody and everything. And it, get, it got crazy. And I think in some regard, the reason that we quit talking about this or discussing it, because it got so nuts. I, I remember going in Houston, and this is nothing bad about Joel Olstein, uh, but I remember going to his dad's church when Lakewood was first in, in Houston. Uh, it was back in a neighborhood. I don't know how they ever got a church going there. You had to go through a neighborhood, run over a couple of speed bumps. It wasn't on a freeway. It wasn't close. Uh, I mean, it was just in the middle of a neighborhood. It's like, it would be like putting a 3,000-member church in, Quail, in the middle of Quail Creek, you know? And we used to go there. I visited a couple of times. And his dad, if you ever heard his dad, you know he and Joel are not anything alike. His dad was a stem-winding, Baptocostal preacher. <clears throat> Well, he grew up Baptist, and then he became Pentecostal. That's what we call Bapticostals. <laughs> he was a stem-winding preacher. I remember going there several times and hearing him speak, and I had a friend that went there and finally said, I'm not going there anymore. And I said, well, why is that? It's not, not being disrespectful. It's just that he said this. I got tired of talking to the devil. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, every time I went there, Everything's right. Now, devil, we say to you, and now, devil, we tell you to get out of here, and now, you know what I mean? It gets crazy. It gets too out there, in my judgment. It gets too far. And so, as a consequence of that, what's happened is, is often we don't even want to talk about it. We don't even want to discuss it because we don't want to get weird. I had a professor say, and I think it's true. I think, in some ways, Christian television has been really bad for us. You know, when you see people on Christian television, they're worshiping God, and they look like this? Right? I'm not saying they're not worshiping. I'm just saying they look like they're passing a kidney stone. I wouldn't be attracted to that if I'm not a follower. You know, I tell my students all the time, open your eyes when you're on the chapel when you're leading this, or I'm going to come up here and drag you off. Or I told them one time, if you don't open your eyes when you're leading worship, one of these days I'm going to get a hundred of us to leave while your eyes are closed, and then when they open, you'll see what happened. Now all that to say this, that there is this problem with this. You know, C.S. Lewis, I think, said it great. If you haven't read the book, I'll give you some resources. The Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis said we have one of two extremes. We either disbelieve in the existence of supernatural powers, we disbelieve in them, or we have an unhealthy interest in them. That's kind of where we have landed in our culture. We, we either just completely disbelieve them and disavow them, or we have an unhealthy interest. And I can just tell you, I, as a theologian and as preaching and teaching, there's a lot of stuff on the internet and stuff like that that just gets crazy. Just, I, in fact, it's hard to find good resources. I found a few that I've known of and used. But this I say, look, look what Jesus says. The ruler of the world is coming. Well, who is this? Uh, Jesus identifies this first one about opposition. 
in this area of this person called ruler. Now, the word ruler here is just the Greek word for somebody who's in ruler of a town or a synagogue or something like that. There's no real spiritual uh, meaning to this word. It's archon or arcane. Uh, it, 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 it just has to do with ruler. It could be a ruler in a city. It could be a magistrate. There's no, no real uh, supernatural notion. But then he says, of the world, the ruler of the world. Now, let's think about that because the word world here has at least three different meanings. That's why I stay in work, have a, a theologian. I have a job because you couldn't just read it and know what it means, right? You got to explain it. Yeah. World means one is the physical universe. Now, I'm going to go through John. John 1, 9. He came, to his, or he came into the world and they did not receive him. The word world, cosmos, uh, has the idea of a physical universe. That's one. Number two, uh, the world can sometimes mean people. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. It doesn't mean he just, I mean, maybe he loves trees too and all. It's all that, the physical universe, but it's people, it seems, that this uh, notion of the world, that there is this uh, uh, matter there. The third one is probably the most significant one uh, throughout the Gospel of John, if you're interested. And it really is a system or a way of life in opposition to God. A system with its own values and interests that is in opposition to God. That's found in John 7, 7. So John uses this term uh, in different ways, and you need to be careful as you read it. What does it mean? The world is, again, sometimes just a physical planet. This alternative kingdom, this ruler of this alternative kingdom is coming after Jesus. And Jesus uh, has referred to him back in chapter 12, we'll look at that in a minute, referred to the ruler of the world, Again, some would suggest, well, does that mean he's the ruler of all people? Is he the ruler of the physical cosmos? Is he the ruler just of this alternative, if you will, a kind of system that sets itself up? What I would say is you have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Those are the two polarities. Now, I, I know that this is going to raise some issues. So if you, have your, uh, if you have your cell phone and you're not doing a grocery list right now uh, or checking baseball scores, um, uh, you can go to Socrative.com and uh, there's, a, there's a student login. You don't have to give any information or you know, uh, give your, uh, your social security number. To find, it's just jump in. And there's a room there called 50168. And I've got just a couple. Of, and by the way, the names are disabled, so I don't know who it is. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're free to participate or not. It gives me some information here that uh, might be of some help. I'll try to do that. I, I've tried to do this before. It's not easy uh, to go back and forth with my notes. Anyway, so the world here suggests, if you will, uh, some alternative kingdom. The ruler of this alternative kingdom that has its own values, has its own interests, has its own uh, uh, participants, if you will, that are contrary to the kingdom or the rule of God. Does that make sense? That's the world, this idea. You can see this all through John's uh, writings. And so Jesus says this one who is considered part of this system or this group or this value system is coming. But notice what Jesus, he has nothing in me, nothing in me. I've been meditating on that, looking at that. Because this idea of opposition, the truth about this opposition. So here's a couple of possibilities uh, this could mean, and I, and I think it'll have some help for us. That Jesus is saying this ruler, who we know is the devil, the enemy, is coming after him, if you will, he's coming. Greek word there means he's on his way. Uh, that the idea has nothing in it. And literally, that's what it means in Greek. I think the NIV, the nearly inspired version, says, <laughs> he has nothing on me, I think has no hold over me. It literally is this. He has nothing in me. Literally. That's what it is in Greek. It, he, he, he has nothing in me. Now, again, NIV is trying to transliterate, uh, translate it in a way that's understandable in our culture. What does that mean? That this ruler who is opposed to the rule and kingdom of God is coming, but doesn't have anything in me. Let, let me. Let me suggest a couple of things. Number one, Jesus might be saying this. Obviously, the devil has no power over him because Jesus does not have a sinful nature. Nothing in me. Doesn't have anything in me. 
And that notion is part of what we understand as to the nature of Jesus, that he was born of a virgin, not tainted, if you will, by all of human, human humanity. Although we talked about last week, this Jesus is a real human being and real God. And that's not an easy thing to uh, harmonize always. But Jesus does not have a sinful nature. Uh, when I'm writing that, though, that sounds pretty good, right? Simple. Doesn't have anything in him. The problem with that is this. Then, again, as I said uh, last week, was Jesus actually tempted to sin? Or as I said, is that just kabuki theater? Is he, is he really tempted to sin? Now, okay, let's say, so there's no sinful nature here. We, we typically assume that the reason we sin is because we have a sinful nature and because we're fallen. I agree with part of that. Uh, I won't go all the way, but I, you know, I, I believe with that. But, but if that's the case, I, I want to, this, this may be a little uh, uncomfortable here, but let me uh, suggest that if this doesn't mean that, that it, that it isn't that, or that Jesus, uh, it, there's nothing in him because he uh, doesn't have a sinful, what, what is this? That Jesus has not given any area of his life to where there's access. Jesus, if Jesus could have really sinned, if Jesus could have really sinned, we read it the way I wrote because it, it, it that, 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 that Jesus had no sinful nature in him, right? But he could have sinned, right? Right. Does that suggest then that you don't have to have a sinful nature in order to sin? By choosing. Yeah, he's asking the question, how did Adam and Eve sin? By the world, said this way, there's the world system, if you will, the not God system and the God system. And they chose not God. They turned away from him. Remember, the thing that they did was there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't eat that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer makes a great observation when he says this, that what happened was they decided we will have our own knowledge and understanding on our own. Instead of the tree, or instead of God being our source of not the good of knowledge of good and evil, we'll decide. Whether it was a real tree or not, there's a lot of discussion. But it does represent that what, what happened was we decide, they decided we will be independent. We will not need to know what the knowledge of good and evil is based on what God says. We will determine that on our own. Raise a great question because I tell my students this. Did Adam and Eve have a sinful nature? They are what we call pre-fall, before the fall of humanity. I want to suggest to you there's something rattling around in here that suggests that it may not require a sinful nature in order to sin. If, in fact, Jesus did not have a sinful nature, and if, in fact, Jesus could have sinned. This, this is, I mean, this is a little disturbing because it really in some sense, causes us to have to ask ourselves, why do we sin? Why do we sin? I, I want to lay that there. That's another day. But, but it raises the question that if it, there's no sinful nature in Jesus and he can sin, does it require a sinful nature to sin? I would suggest, and in, 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 I do believe human beings are fallen. Don't get me wrong. I will say this, though. I think there's something here that suggests that says that really when it comes right down to it, that the issue of sin has to do with independence or dependence on God. And I have the capacity to go either way. I can either be dependent on God or independent. The other thing is possibility is this. When Jesus says there's no, he has nothing in me, is it more likely, I, this is where I'm going to run with it, it's more the idea that Jesus has not given any area of his life to where there's access. Remember in John, Jesus says, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me. He is totally dependent on his Father. Again, which raises all kinds of issues for our lives. That if we would live as dependent as Jesus did on his Father, perhaps we could live in some ways like Jesus can. He gave no access to him. Let me give you a verse here because it, 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 I'm reminded of this where Paul said in Ephesians 4.27, 
Do not give the devil a place in your life. Ephesians 4.27, give no place. The Greek word there, topos, means a place, a, a setting, a, a foothold. Don't give him any place in your life. But we live in a world where it's as simple and as easy to do that as is just watching television or driving down the road. That Jesus had given no place in his life for the enemy to have access there for him. My dad used to say this to me or, or said this statement uh, about this, and, and I've said it to my students, and it seemed to help them. But this idea of not letting the enemy have a place, to, to not, not allow him to find his way into our life through uh, things we're doing or things we're seeing or things we're participating. My dad said this, if there's any quit in you, the devil will find it. If there's any quit in you, the different stand. How are you differentiating on the, in the phrase in? Because we use in me here, mm -hmm. and we use in Christ yes. in other phrases. Yes. When, we talk, when he talks about in me here, is he saying that the devil has nothing in Christ, as opposed to something internal to Christ that the devil has not internalized in Christ? How do you differentiate that? The, the, the Greek term in means location, place, situation. It's an interesting preposition to mean, if I'm following you, is that he has not, not a physical thing. He has no place in me. In terms of being in Christ means I'm not in cliff. If I'm in Christ, he is my uh, circle of influence and circumference where I'm trusting and relying on him. I'm in him. That, that's, my, that's, my, that's my reality there are terms of where I'm living. If I'm in cliff, then I'm, I'm depending on me. I'm relying on my understanding. What I'm suggesting is that this idea that he doesn't have, the devil doesn't have any place in him in terms of access to him through, through his dependence on his father. He is in the father. That's it. Am I helping any or confusing? And the devil is in what? I, I'm saying yeah. that when we give him access, he has entree into our life. He has access into our life. If we open that door, Paul says, don't give him a place. That Greek word topos, you know topography. That that, that, that that place, don't give him a place or a beachhead or a point of contact in him. So I, that's, that's my sense of it. Yeah. So this, this idea of giving the enemy a place, Jesus is saying, I've not given that in any way. He has no place in me. Now, you know, I, I'm thinking in my own life as I'm working on this. Okay, Cliff. Are there places that you've surrendered a little territory here? Or you've allowed things where the enemy can get a foothold? I'm asking myself that. I'm not, you don't have to ask that. But, but I'm, 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 I'm saying, have I? Now, here's where I'm going to try to navigate something here. Um, this idea of place, this idea of nothing in me. Uh, in, in, I've, I've gone back and forth to Hebrews 4 because it keeps talking about Jesus being uh, created like we are. But in Hebrews 4, 14 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin. One of my professors at Asbury said this. This is where the struggle is. That weaknesses, the Greek word asthenia just means to not have strength. It means a weakness. And one of my professors said, it's not that weaknesses are in themselves sin, but they become the bridge by which the enemy gets some access. You know, I started writing, and these aren't all. Uh, but doc, uh, it, it, he, he made this observation that because he said he was tempted in every way, uh, or he, he understands our weaknesses, yet he wasn't, he didn't sin. You know, I, my observation this, this is Cliff, you don't have to agree with it. I think that the enemy sometimes gets a foothold in people's lives through the weakness of insecurity. Now, I think we're all insecure, okay, right? 
Just some of us have, have masked it better than others. I think everybody's insecure to some degree. But I've watched this, how that insecurity sometimes becomes almost a foothold for the enemy to get us to do stupid stuff. To try to prove ourselves or to try to act a certain way or be prideful, you know, generally when, when we're terribly insecure. Uh, an, an, another one, you know, I've talked to my students about a, a weakness is if we are affected by chronic shame. Where, where, where we feel so bad about ourselves that, that we, we don't believe that God even is interested in what's going on with us. These are weaknesses. These, these aren't sinful things. It's not sinful to be insecure. It's not sinful if you've had shame. These, though, are those areas of weakness that sometimes the enemy tries to get a place. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say now. I told Becky, this is when I get away with my notes where I get in trouble. Um, I don't believe that because a person's sick that they've sinned, okay? Right? You with me? But I've watched over the years, uh, I don't think we're as careful as we ought to be at times to know that, that sometimes chronic illness really sets up a weakness in people. Discouragement. Despair. You know, have you seen that? Chronic. I mean, where people are ill and they're struggling and they feel alone. All those kind of things. Where, where there's a place, it seems, that the enemy can find a place in our life. These are not sinful. It's not it's sinful to be sick. It's not sinful to be chronically ill. It's not sinful to be insecure. It's not sinful to have shame you're working through. But those asthenia, that, that weakness area. Because Jesus was tempted everywhere. And, and our weaknesses, but he didn't sin. So, so what, what do we do about this? Let me, let me try to give us some answers here. Number one, expect opposition. Expect it. My dad used to always say to me, if you're walking with Jesus and you're walking in the the rule of God against the rule of the world, you expect opposition. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about being a martyr here. You know, I, 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 one student one time said, you know, I wonder where I'm doing in class. It said, uh, you know, it's really been tough. I, I'm, I'm at work. I'm really being prosecuted. <laughs> and I thought, well, you probably should be. <laughs> You know, there's some opposition we can create for ourselves in there by being a jerk. That's a Greek term, jerkonomos. <coughs> yeah, it's found in the Septuagint. Jerkonomos. You can make any word Greek if you want to. It comes from a Greek word, you know. <laughs> I love that guy. Komono. Oh, okay, stop it. Uh, we can create problems. And persecution because we've been a jerk. Or because we've not been attentive or sensitive. But, but there are, if you will, uh, uh, matters of, 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 op, of opposition that come down. Let me, Becky and I were talking about this. You know, when do you tell it's a bad day or it's real spiritual opposition? Again, I, I'm not one of those guys that thinks everything is the devil. I'm not one of those guys thinking, you know, there's a devil on every doorknob. I remember going to my doctor one time. To me, to me, this requires some diagnosis. What, I always have sinus uh, trouble, and I went to see my doctor, and after waiting an hour and a half and uh, sitting there, he walks in and says this. Hey, Cliff, I think what I said, hey, John, hold it. I talk back to doctors and insurance people. I remind him, you work for me, right? I'm paying the bill here. And I said, John, hold it just a minute. Don't start throwing medicine at me. Don't start telling me what you're going to do. Let's talk about this. Because I'm cheap. I got a list of things I want to talk about. <laughs> right? I said, John, let, let's talk about this because I've got this sinus problem, but there's a, a, another thing that's kind of struggling with it. I, I don't want you just throwing medicine at me. I don't want you just throwing stuff at me right now because Cliff's always had a sinus infection and this is always the way of treat. I want you to talk to me. Listen, in this area of opposition, we've got to develop some diagnostic skills. This is not and this is why I think it, 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 it's so difficult. Because some people want to tell you that everything is spiritual opposition. And other people say, oh, quit being silly. It's just your stupidity. And for some of you, that's the case. No, <laughs> no names. <clears throat> right? 
But, but the idea sometimes, so, so what I would say is this, in general, there is spiritual opposition going on all the time. The enemy of your soul is attacking your values, your priorities, your trust in God, your sense of who you are in Christ. You know, I told you we're going to do a series on who are you in Christ? <clears throat> who are you? Listen, there's this opposition constantly going on to try to get you to surrender your values, to surrender your priorities, to get you not to trust God, to get you to wonder who you are. I'm not that good. All those kind of things are going on, okay? We, we know that. It's just kind of the, the battle we're in. But I think there are specific times when things are maybe required a little more direction. I'm going to give you some of that here in a minute. It may be when the work of God that we're involved in is being hindered and we're not sure why. You ever seen that? You're, you're, you're in the work of God. You're in ministry. I tell people that, that if one, of the, one of the things that ministry does to people is it forces them to trust God. If you're not involved in ministry, there are lots of times you won't have to trust God. Because you can handle it. You got it worked out. You got it done. But when you get in ministry or you're involved with people, I say real people with real problems, you're going to find out that there's a spiritual war going on for the souls and hearts of men and women. And we've kind of all dialed that down to just be an addiction. And I'm not saying, oh boy, here I go. Stop it. Okay. I'm way, I'm getting above my pay grade here now. But, but I am saying that the work of God is being hindered. There's opposition, or it could be, I wrote this way, when there are recurring patterns of thought or behavior that one can't break through normal means. Now, I, I, that covers a lot of territory. I mean, I'm not trying to get you to think again that everything is the devil. I'm trying to say that I think for too long, often in the evangelical church, we've even failed to recognize this as even a possibility. That's my opinion. So in, in beginning is to expect opposition. Don't be shook up by it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be concerned about it. Just realize it's going to happen. You know, I, I hear people saying now, and, and I, I, I'm like you, I, I, there are things happening in our country right now that bother me and worry me. But I mean, I've read the New Testament several times, and Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Okay, I mean, it's naive for us to think that everybody's going to love Jesus and everybody's going to love the message and everybody's going to think it's wonderful. It's just naive. There is this ruler of the world who has another system in place and it is fighting tooth and toenail against that. Now let's don't get, let's don't get morbid and, and let's don't get you know uh, whiny about it. Let's just realize we're in the battle and the struggle for the souls and hearts of men and women. So it is. I, I can't change that, right? So expect it, recognize it, understand it. And again, my dad, I'm, you know, this is not my dad here, but I don't think he's only third. My dad always said, if there's not some opposition happening every once in a while, you may be walking with the wrong group. <laughs> there isn't some opposition every once in a while. Everybody, you know, Jesus said, uh, you know, beware when all people rise up and call you blessed. And again, I'm not talking about being ornery and, Harsh and, and, and ugly about things. But I think expect it. Now, let, let's go to this. Reject intimidation. He says, he has nothing in me. Okay? I'm going to give you some verses. I want to read these for you. We're going to read through them. Reject intimidation. One of the things that the devil is, is he's a liar. Okay? Right? I read a report. You know, you find all kinds of things on the internet. You know, Abraham Lincoln said not everything is true. On the internet. And... Uh, <clears throat> That's what he said on the internet. <laughs> the honest Abe. I read a report one time that talked about when Peter, first Peter says, the devil's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, you know, you can read all kinds of things, but I did read one time that a, that a zoologist or whatever those guys are, not just a guy at the zoo, but a, a guy that worked with animals, <laughs> um, said that one of the characteristics of a lion uh, when it's hunting, if it has lost some of its teeth, is it does a lot of roaring. Let's look at this. Look, I'm going to run you through. Look at James. Get your Bible. Go to James chapter 4. 
James chapter 4. Notice what it says in 4.7, and we'll have these. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will run from you. That's what the word flee means. Run. Resist him. Stand up to him. Say no. No, I'm not doing that. No, in the name of Jesus, I'm not doing that. What does it say he will do? He will, the word flee means to run from you. It doesn't just mean leave you alone. You know, that's why I thought, well, resist the devil, he'll leave you alone. No, it says if you resist, if you submit to God, the Greek word there means come under his authority, under his rule, under his kingdom, and resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's pretty good news, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we need to say that. Hey, I remember when I was in college, uh, I was going through some, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know all the situation, but, but I can remember, I can remember just t- times when I was in college preparing for ministry that there were these uh, periods of time where the, uh, the sense of struggle was tough. And I would just say, I rebuke you. I rebuke you. I rebuke you. I resist you. I refuse you. I reject you. Any word I could come up with. In the name of Jesus. You have to flee. Look over at 1 Corinthians 10 real quick. 1 Corinthians 10. I love this verse. I make my students memorize it. I can't believe people haven't memorized it. There's no temptation taking, but such is common to man. God is faithful. Who will not allow you. Listen to this. Who will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able to bear. Now, William Law commented on this. He said, listen, the deal with sin isn't a lack of power. It's a lack of intention. You get that? It's not a lack of power. It's a lack of intention. There's no temptation that's occurred to you that isn't common to man. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able. But with the temptation, make a way of escape so you can bear up under it. You ought to say that back to him every once in a while. Come on. This, This is ridiculous. God will never allow me to be tempted more than I can bear. I've wondered a couple of times. I said, hey, do you remember this verse? This feels... Much more than I can bear. I'll make the promise. <clears throat> Look at Ephesians 6. <clears throat> These would be great verses to have. Ephesians 6. Chris has commented on this a couple of times when he's taught. <clears throat> I think it's great. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 10, 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What will you be able to do? <clears throat> stand. Now listen, that's an interesting word. <clears throat> Because in the, Greek, in the Greek culture, for an army to have a standing army to be able to stand against the enemy was considered incredible power. The Greek word there too, the schemes, it's the Greek word methodias. What does that sound like in English? Methods. Let me tell you something. If you're not methodical, the devil is. He didn't stop on the first whack. He's methodical. And Paul says, if you'll put on the armor of God, there it is, listed. You know, A.W. Tozer made this observation. I asked my students this, and I don't do this every morning, you know. Uh, sometimes I watch Morning Joe, and then I really go to prayer. And <clears throat> uh, A.W. Tozer said this is a very fascinating verse here because of this, because when you think about when you get up in the morning or you begin your day, to at least just mentally begin to say, you know what, i got to stand in the strength of Jesus today, not, this, not, the, not, the, not the strength of Cliff. I've got, I've got to put on the armor of God today. Here's why. Because many of us go into our day like the world is a playground instead of a battleground. Tozer said that. He said part of the problem is that many of us go into the world thinking the world's a playground when in fact it's a battleground. There's a struggle. There's a world that's fighting against the kingdom. So that this notion of put on the full armor of God. Then go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, I'm I'm just pulling some verses out that have meant a lot to me. I told Becky that's my favorite sermon. Sermons that have meant a lot. uh, It's one of my favorite sermons. Verses that meant a lot to me. (laughs) Look here. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh... 
We do not war according to the flesh. See, flesh is this. Flesh is human power, intellect, ability. It's called life in Adam. That's what flesh is. Life in Adam with all of the resources of humanity. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortress. Now watch how this is. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Uh, I, I don't know about you know me. I've got three or four voices going on all the time in my head. And one, this is one of my life verses. That one of the areas of spiritual warfare that Martin Luther said about thoughts was this. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, when he said this, you cannot keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Thoughts. This is where it is. Thoughts. The helmet of salvation to cover the head. To take every thought captive. You know, some of my friends in the AA, they call this dealing with what? Stinking thinking. Right? Part of the healing there often in AA with people is they realize my thought life is doing way too much to me and I've got to get control of it. I told a friend of mine one time who was being treated by, not here in town, it was back in Kentucky, you know, where when they got divorced they were still cousins. But <clears throat> happens all the time. <clears throat> I said to Jane one time, I said to Jane one time, she was under the care of a psychiatrist because she's really struggling with some stuff. And I looked her right in the eye. I said, Jane, the reason you're having trouble here because you're lazy. That's why I don't have a lot of people I counsel. <laughs> you're lazy. She looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, you won't take control of your mind. And God's not going to do it for you. When my dad was so ill, or before he got ill, my dad had a terrible depression where he was hospitalized. I mean, taking shots. Had some physical things happen. This before he had cancer. And uh, I, I remember uh, he would call me on different occasions. I didn't know who it was. Cliff, yes? Pray for me. Who is this? It's your dad. What? I mean, I, I didn't recognize him. He had descended into a depression. I'd never seen anything like it. I remember going down to Texas and, and, and uh, being with him and seeing him in the hospital, shuffling around. He'd been a vibrant person. But my dad had always had trouble in, in some ways with his thought life. I mean, not kind of, you know, bizarre, crazy, just thoughts of I'm not good enough or I'm not, I'm not this or that or the other. And he, when he retired, I, I don't think he had enough things to do, and his thought life got him. You know, when he, got, when he retired, he was too cheap to play golf every day. <laughs> and I remember uh, talking with him in the hospital. And uh, as, as we discussed this, I, I realized what was going on with him. And, you know, when your dad starts confessing things to you, la, 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 you know, <clears throat> I'm just... Trying to be good here. So my dad said to me, <clears throat> he said, uh, I think, you know, I think a, a, a demon has got a hold of me. And I said, okay. I'm not real emotionally reactive as a person to begin with, but I thought I, I just got to ride this. And so I said to him, I said, <clears throat> so he's had all these thoughts that this has happened to him. And he said, uh, because I've seen some stuff on the internet. Now I'm going, oh gosh, why did I even come to see him? You know, no, no son wants to hear this. And I said, so? He said, I've seen some women in lingerie. I said, and? He said, that's it. Okay. If you have a demon, you definitely got one in training. <clears throat> there ain't no way. <clears throat> if you got a demon, that's as far as he took you. <laughs> uh, I was trying to make him laugh. 
Because he, would, he said to me, pray for me. And I said, not on your life. Not on your life. Quit praying and start thinking. Get those thoughts into obedience to Jesus. Your praying is the biggest problem you've got. Now, see, again, why I'm not a counselor. <laughs> I talked to him just like that. I said, I'm not kidding with you, Dad. I'm not praying for you. I'm not falling into this game with you. You get a hold of your brain. You get those thoughts and you get every one of them and you submit them to the obedience of Jesus. Is this true or not? Get it out. Is this true or not? Get it out. You take control of your mind. God's not going to do it for you. It helped him. He would tell you even as he got ill. There are days when it's tough. But I know to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Guys, a lot of us, that's the area of warfare we're in all the time. You got to quit letting those thoughts have free rule in you. You got to say, I'm stopping that right there. That thought that I'm no good, or that thought that God doesn't love me, or that thought that impending doom is happening, or this kind of thought, or God doesn't, you got to stop it. Or the thought, you have to do this, you know, you're fallen in failure. You can't allow that. You cannot allow it. And, and so I'm, you know, I'm not emotionally reactive. My brother's praying for my dad. I'm glad they did. But I just said to him, I'm not praying for you. And I'm not going to pray for you. Because that's not your problem. Your problem is you're lazy. Your problem is it takes too much energy. You know what it does, doesn't it? To say, now hold on. That thought keeps running through my head. I was telling Becky the other day, I had a thought run through my head, and I just said, Becky, I just want you to pr pray with me about it. That's terrible, and pray with me. <laughs> two, 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 take it and make it submit to Jesus. Okay? Look at Colossians chapter 2 real quick. I kind of like this verse. Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> Uh, we're, I'm just going to, there's a lot in here about uh, that Jesus, when he died for us, he was buried and raised and, and, and removed from us the uh, debt of consisting in decrease against us. But look at verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. What did Jesus do? He disarmed them. He disarmed them. And that's the word that's used here, if you will, in, in John. Rulers, archon. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. And he made a public display of them on the cross. And through his death and life and resurrection, they're disarmed. The only power they have over us, if we will give in to their lies and to their oppression. I'm not talking about, you know, you're going to walk six feet off the ground. I'm just saying this. The New Testament doesn't leave us in some place like, well, things are terrible and we'll all get to go to heaven someday. But the notion here that he disarmed them. I've, there's a great book by A.W. Tozer. Again, you ought to read it. It's called I Talk Back to the Devil. Now, I don't, I, listen, this is a great book. I, I don't recommend a lot of books in spiritual warfare. A lot of them are just goofy. I mean, I've seen lists of people that say these are all evidences of something. My goodness. So, you know, it's like if you have toenail fungus, you've got something wrong with you. <laughs> but this idea, I talk back to the devil. Tozer's notion here is this. I'm not taking this land down. You've been disarmed. You have no power and authority over me. Whatever occurs here, Jesus is still king. And he's ruler. Now, let me, let me give you the last one. I've got to hurry here. This last one, or sort of. I got accused of hurrying too much the other day, so I've slowed down. <laughs> Come on. Connect with God's words. See, you know, I, I'm not trying to be funny here, but expect, reject, and connect. Expect opposition, reject intimidation, and connect. Connect with God's word. You know, maybe tomorrow morning, instead of 
going out thinking it's a playground, maybe just look at God's word in Ephesians 6, 10 to 16. And say, you know what? I'm about to enter the struggle. There's no fear here, no, no anxiety. I've got the armor of God. I can be strong in his strength. But I'm, I'm going to connect with God's word. I'm going to let God's word tell me that this is what's about to happen now, Cliff. Or connect in God's spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. What I do every morning is I look and I say, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. <clears throat> not yesterday, not today. Connect <clears throat> with God's Spirit. And connect with God's people. Connect, connect with God's people to say, hey, would you pray with me? Could we get together? Could we talk about this? You know, I was telling Peggy the other day, I've got friends of people that I know, I, and this is happening with my students. It's like all of a sudden now there's this new kind of Christian called a free-range Christian. That'll get back there. <laughs> They're free-range Christians. You know what a free-range chicken is, don't you? Just kind of wander around. Come on, work with me here, people, please. <laughs> Good grief. <clears throat> it's like these people are free-range Christians, you know? Like they don't need anybody else. They don't need a community of faith. They don't need believers. Wait, wait until the enemy gets a hold of them. Cracks their head open. Connect with God's people. You know, listen... I've had people say to me before that they wanted, why don't we just put chairs where you can look at the back of each other's necks and call that fellowship? <laughs> put chairs in here and get more people. I'm not, I'm not trying to get more people. Here's what I said. We're going to keep these tables because there are connections having these tables with people that are vital to their life and, 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 and experience of following Jesus. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Connect with God's people. Now, as you know, I'm always, a, here, here's, a, here's a couple of books. No, that's not there. Here's a, here, there's a couple of books here uh, on the back if you're interested in this topic. And apparently, I'm going to look at these uh, Socrative results. Victory and Spiritual Warfare by Tony Evans. He's a pastor down. He's an African-American pastor down in Oak Cliff uh, in Dallas. He's been a professor at DTS, a great guy. If you haven't read the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, you need to read that. That is one of the most remarkable. I went and saw a play one time where they uh, did one act play. It was incredible. If you haven't read that, but you need to read it. I mean, there's so much wisdom and understanding in that area. And then this, this is an old, old book. Corey Ten Boone, not to me, but re <laughs> recommended to people this book called War on the Saints by Jesse Penn Lewis. Now, you know, you're, it doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything. You don't have to. There's a new book I've got. It's by a Roman Catholic a theologian. I haven't read it. haven't read all of it. I'm starting to read part of it. It's called Spiritual Combat, and uh, it's really an interesting book. I, I just sensed this week as I was working through this to say, I'm not trying to make anybody get afraid or freaky or weird, but I am trying to be faithful to this, that Jesus knew there was a ruler in this world coming after him, and that if we're not careful, we'll be like C.S. Lewis said, we'll either completely ignore this issue, and to our own peril at some level. Or we'll get an unhealthy interest in it. Like I told you, my buddy quit going to Lakewood years and years ago. He said, I got tired of praying to the devil. I got tired of talking to the devil. Devil, now we come against you. You just get tired of that because you think this is too much emphasis on him, right? I don't live in fear of him. I'm not worried about him. I know what the power of Jesus is. I'm going to walk, but I'm not ignorant of him. And maybe you could think, have I just not expected this? Or have I been intimidated by it? That's why I gave you those verses. Or have I failed to connect in these areas for God to give me the strength that I need? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. See you next week. <clears throat>